Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Will. Today I'm joined by author Mike Duke, author of the Amalgam series, Warm Dark Places Are Bad. I mean, Warm Dark Places Are Best. <laughs> also <laughs> bad if you read the book. <laughs> uh, Hello, yeah. The Signal, and others. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great, sir. Yeah, Warm Dark Places Are Bad, aren't they? They are. <laughs> Where the hell did you get the idea for that? Uh, someone described it to me, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so, all right, so a couple of things. One, I hate centipedes to begin with. Um, I actually incorporated part of my own experience into the book, where the, the first time they realize something is going on is they, you know, feels one climbing on his shoulder while he's asleep sleep and he scoops it with his hand reflexively you know and throws it across the room and you know jumps up and then it scurries off and you know can't find it and uh i had that happen to me twice over the period of about three days at one place that we lived oh god Um, so yeah so my wife and i literally uh, you know especially after the second one you know it's like okay we're putting you know, earplugs in our ears, you know, wearing underwear, you know, just sleeping with the lights on, hoping it will deter <laughs> it, you know. <laughs> no free balling so, in bed. <laughs> and uh, so I had that. And then, you know, everybody, when people start bringing up what books scared you, you always get a lot of people who are like, I've never been scared by a book, you know, or stuff like that, or nothing, nothing bothers me or whatever, you know. So, my aim was like, well, bugs are kind of universal and you know, maybe not necessarily scary, but definitely have a creep factor, you know, mm-hmm. a skin crawling creep factor, you know. And um, I made a post one day. I saw this video on YouTube that I stumbled on where people were getting a centipede out of somebody's ear. I had seen a spider video the exact same way, and they have the person lay on their side, and they slowly drip water into the ear until the thing will crawl out. And I had seen one with a spider where the spider just kind of slowly crawls out of the ear, you know? And then this one with the centipede, as they put it in there, they're putting it in there, and all of a sudden, this sucker runs out, just, you know, scurrying right across the kid's you know, the side of his head and dying and they're screaming and everything. And I shared it and I swear, dude, I had so many people commenting is like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you share that? Oh my God. You know, all this kind of stuff. And these were all like people, there was a lot of these that were like extreme horror folks, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, they're having a really visceral reaction. I think it's because like a lot of what goes into extreme horror books, like it's outside the direct realm of possibility, but like bugs, always a possibility like this can actually happen. And it does. And I mean, I kept this one totally as far as, you know, it wasn't anything that like, this is a gigantic, you know, you know, chemicals have, or, you know, radiation has been caused these things that enlarge. I just stuck with the real thing. I mean, you, these desert centipedes and some of these ones that you find in like Indonesia, Thailand and other places. I mean, they get, or Hawaii, Hawaii is another one. Texas has them. 
uh, in some other desert areas. But I mean, they can grow 12 to 14 inches as, you know, standard. Um, that's big. You can find videos online of some people that have them as pets, let them crawl up their arm, and I don't know what the hell's wrong with them, folks. <laughs> nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope. It's a big can of nope. Yeah, oh my god. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was where the whole idea for it came, and then I just kind of went pretty far with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think centipedes are like my top three worst fears. Like some people hate leeches. For me, it's centipedes. Yeah. This is all the creepy crawliness of them. Yeah, I I hate centipedes, man. I mean, I wrote about it, but I I do hate them. I hate them a lot. They're like the um, unholy combination of snakes and spiders. Yeah, they're vicious too, man. And you watch videos of them like feeding. I mean, they get a hold of something, whether it's a mouse or a frog or you know, something else, you know, and they, once they wrap it up, they just start eating into it. Just <sighs> wherever they are at, they just start eating into it and through it. And I, uh, you can see some where there's a couple of pictures out there where people find where a centipede had ate all the way through a snake, like went in one end or went in through the mouth and came out the other, or, you know, you know, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. Oh they're, god, they're vicious, nasty. I can I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> there was a scene in uh, the Human Centipede Part Two that just will haunt me for life. With it involves a centipede. Uh, have you seen that movie? No, I, uh, <laughs> I <have> not. <laughs> it's a it's a centipede going into go warm there. dark places. So you might like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I start each episode asking, "What is your favorite horror movie?" Ah, uh, hands down, the thing, nineteen eighty-two version. That's a very popular John one too. Monsters. That's uh, for years. I I think for a long time I would kind of lean more towards aliens at one point when I was younger. But the older I've gotten, the thing has eked it out. And um, yeah, definitely the thing. I've watched that movie so many times; it's ridiculous. And it's got some of my favorite scenes, you know, of any horror movie. The blood test scene, the dog scene. Uh, both of those are just right up there, you know, with my favorite all-time scenes, especially the blood test scene. Mm. I think that's just got so much tension, you know, going on. The distrust, the uncertainty, the tension. You don't know who it's going to be, you know. Um yeah, and the the way the thing moves when Palmer becomes, you know, turns into the thing and everything and grabs hold of coral windows and lifts him up in the air and he's just kind of shaking him around. Yeah, oh, that was freaky the first time. I oh, yeah. <laughs> and the practical effects, too, they can't be beaten. They're just great. Oh, dude, they, they really can't. I mean, even today, I mean, there's nothing... I, I've still yet to see something that I think beats it on the practical effects that they, they pulled off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just superb. Absolutely superb. So how was the movie? Uh... Just, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I've just the last couple of days, I've been playing through this new game, the Callisto Protocol, and they have one creature in there that definitely has, pays some homage to the, to the thing. And I've got 
two heads and a split down the middle with a big teeth and you know a bunch of stuff like that you know it's pretty badass and you're pretty big on video games aren't you uh to a degree yeah i um i enjoy uh i'll go back and forth like sometimes i just want a bit of a shooter uh, mm-hmm. I really like Mech Warrior Mercenaries. I was a big Battletech player back years and years ago, board game, and then Mech Warrior, you know, on the computer and Mech Assault when the X, original Xbox came out. But um, so I like, I, I'm enjoying this Mech Warrior Mercenary, and my son are doing some co op with it. He lives out in Oregon, and I'm on the East Coast. So um, we get. We both like that stuff, and we do a little bit of a co-op with that. So I just feel like shooting something, that's good. Uh, or, I mean, I enjoy the Halo games, but uh, Dead Space, Bioshock, uh, those are definitely some of my all-time faves, along with the original Halo. And I've been looking forward to Callisto Protocol because it's got that Dead Space, you know, vibe, you know, mm. kind of thing. And it's pretty good. It's it's got some things that you know are kind of frustrating, but overall, it's been pretty good. Have video games at all like informed your writing process? Like when you play video games, do you kind of reverse engineer them, like how the story is told? Um, I don't think so. Uh, it's kind of hard for me to to process to say for sure, but. I usually come up with ideas just I'll be listening to music or thinking about something else and you know I'll get a bit of a flash of an idea and then I'll kind of go from there um I don't I can't think of anything that's actually been related to a video game My first book Low was kind of the product of a I listened to two songs back to back and had ideas that combined the the idea of two two things together, and then that was kind of the kernel, and then it you know it went from there. Um, but yeah, and you're also really into cosmic think, horror, aren't you? I do. I I really love reading cosmic horror, and I've you know I've written two things: one novel and one novella. Where the Gods Sleep is the novel. It's a shorter novel, but uh, that one actually is written all first person, like found footage. Uh, so it's like somebody has taken all of these documents after the fact, and you know, put them in a chronological order for, you know, people to look at and know when what went on, like, behind the scenes, you know, that you didn't know was happening at the time. Uh, so it's got, um, you know, journal entries, letters, emails, police reports, CCTV footage being reviewed by police, news broadcasts, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, is uh, organized to to tell the story. Um, and then I've got a novella called Fear of the Gods that is, uh, it's more straightforward storytelling. You know, it starts out with uh, a sister looking for a brother, finding some journal entries that kind of points her in the direction of where he disappeared to, and then her trying to uh, infiltrate this group 
and find her brother, you know, kind of thing. And she finds some weird shit when she <laughs> when she gets there. Um, the amalgam books are, I mean, there's a lot of space horror and action and stuff like that. But uh, the deeper you go into the series, the the creature becomes a bit more of a cosmic horror type entity thing as you learn more about it. So there's bits of that mixed in in there too. And were you a big uh, Lovecraft fan? Yes. Um, I, you know, I never read him when I was younger. Uh, it wasn't until I was probably, I don't know, in my late twenties, early thirties that I actually started to read him. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I thoroughly enjoy and love, uh, at the minds of madness, um, the call of Cthulhu, Dagon, you know, all those, the stories that tie in with that kind of stuff. Uh, I really like his, his stories too, though. Like if somebody is like, they've never read Lovecraft, I usually don't tell them, you know, try and dive into all the mythos stuff. I'll usually recommend Pickman's model, uh, the rats in the walls, and the picture in the house. Um, I like the rats in the walls. They're, they're, yeah, they're self-contained stories that are all, I think, very good. Um, and so if people can get into those and, you know, aren't thrown off by the style of language and everything from the time, um, then I think they can go from there and, and enjoy, you know, other stuff. So the picture in the house is a creepy one. It's very short, but, uh, the whole, I think that would make a good little, uh, you know, like for the cabinet of curiosities or something like that. Somebody could do the picture in the house and, you know, a little short film type thing. And that would be, uh, quite good because the dude that's in the house, he's creepy. The mm -hmm. way he starts talking about, yeah, you know, the picture in the book and you know all that stuff with the cannibalism and whatnot. But uh, yeah, the people who think of Lovecraft, they always think of like Cthulhu and the mythos. It's like, oh, he's got a cannibal story mixed in there too, man. <laughs> <laughs> he does like a lot with a little too. Like he can have a story that's only two pages long and have it be just absolutely haunting. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are you a fan of the show, uh, Cabinet of Curiosities? Yeah, I've watched most of it. I haven't gotten all the way through, but um, I think so far, The Graveyard Rats was my favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, I really like that one a lot. Um, and uh, what was the other? The Autopsy? Oh, yeah. And probably Pickman's Model. Those, those three I really like. Pigman's model is nothing like the story itself, really, but it was still well done. I thought I thought they did a good job with it, but yeah, the autopsy and graveyard rats those are probably the two best ones. I haven't watched the last two. I've watched the first six, I think, but not the last two. Um, what is your uh, writing process like? Do you outline or do you go just like freewheeling? Um. I definitely outline a lot. Uh, I'm not one of those that like does every last little detail. It's kind of like a, you know, a loose framework. Um, and that, so if I'm writing and something comes up, I can adapt and flow and kind of change with it, or it leaves room for some inspiration here and there. If something pops up in the middle, 
I try not to, you know, like box myself in, but at the same time, I, I find having basic, you know, not, not just plot points. I usually will, when I'm thinking my way through, it's like, here's where I'm, you know, I have a pretty good idea of where I want to get to. Uh, usually with the stories when I start uh, writing them, I've got a pretty good idea of where I want it to end. Um, and then it's like, how am I going to get there? Right. And so I start coming up with ideas for different things that are like key, key things that are going to happen. And then I break it into basically scenes. And so, but the scenes are just real loose. Like, you know, this will start, you know, this will happen here and this will encounter that, you know, kind of a deal. And then just kind of lay out a lot of it and then start writing. But there's times where it's like, like when I was writing this third book in the Amalgam series, I really didn't think it was going to turn out as long as it did. Um, I was actually thinking at that point is like, what has to transpire in this part of the, you know, the series? I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make a whole book out of that. I might have to combine it with the other part, um, you know. But then as I started writing it, it was like, oh, crap. I have put them in this particular situation where they are confined. And I've already established that the creature is capable of doing X, Y, and Z. That is really going to screw with what their plans were, what they were going to initially do. They're going to have to adjust. And then as I wrote it, it was like, well, the creature could do this and the creature is capable of this. And so if he responds in this way and does this, then what are, you know, and it turned out being the longest thing I've written since Low, the first book, you know, big novel, you know, that I wrote um, by just adjusting to it. But when stuff comes up, I'll I'll think it through, and it's like, okay, this is where I want to go, and if I need to plot out some more scenes in that direction, I'll just kind of drop in the base basic plot points and then start writing. You know, so. Now, what can you tell us about the? Uh, oh, go ahead. On the fly. Go ahead. Um, what can you tell us about the fourth book in the Amalgam series coming out? Uh, I'm hoping to get that done and out. I initially was shooting for the end of March, but the last two months of uh, I was I had got really sick at one point, and October was like the busiest month I've had at my workplace in probably seven or eight years, and so I'm kind of behind the curve uh, right mm-hmm. now. So I um, I was hoping to get it out by the author con uh, in the end of March, beginning of April. I may still be able to. We'll see. I, I'm getting ready to like really knuckle down and do a lot of writing on it. Um, but it may end up being later, maybe closer to June. We'll see. I, I don't want to let it take that long. But once I get it knocked out, my editor, she does a really good thorough job. And we go back and forth multiple times, um, making sure that not just you know, grammatics are right, but that we haven't missed any inconsistencies or, you know, different, you know, different things like that. So she does great, but it does take time. So, and uh, I'm not her only client, so we'll see what happens. But 
I can get it out by the end of March, I will. Uh, but I may have to wait a little. But I just, I'm about 40,000 words in, but I've still got a lot to go. So I'm thinking book four may end up being about as long as book three, which was uh, 108,000 words. Right? Oh, man. Four. 430 some pages I think was what the paperback ended up being for book three um, wow but I've got uh, the majority of it kind of plotted and I know where I basically know where I want it to go I still have certain things that I'm debating on you know which way I want to run with them uh, and just kind of waiting till I get further in and kind of the feel for you know do I want to kill off this person or do i want to make it this bad or i mean it's going to be some crazy bad stuff going on in book four but <laughs> like how bad <laughs> <laughs> and you have another book okay. coming out in march don't you yeah the other book that's coming out is called the house of smarba uh, s-m-a-r-b-a um i did a cover release a few weeks ago and it is uh the cover was done by keelan patrick burke uh it looks really good uh and matches up with part of the storyline it's a like a reddish black background of a door with a big lion head door knocker you know like gold colored uh lion head door knocker but this one has a lot of supernatural elements in it from you know uh evil spirit at a house that's the spirit of a dead kid uh that's been influenced by demonic stuff you know and you get possessions and you get demonic creatures and we've got a uh exorcism at one point that i went non-traditional uh i grew up pentecostal and charismatic so i uh brought that in and so instead of like the traditional Catholic, you know, type of exorcism, uh, this thing is like a full-on Pentecostal deal with some uh, interesting stuff thrown in. Uh, definitely a, a little nod, homage to uh, Poltergeist in one one place with a crazy uh, toy toy attack. Oh yeah. <laughs> so the part of it is this that this kid. Uh, ends up meeting the spirit of this dead boy uh, and the, the dead boy is like it's not you know it's like you're trying to figure out is this something he's dreaming or is he like seeing this you know for real but um, you know the kids like showing him all these old toys and the Sears catalog from like the early 80s late 70s right and the, all the different toys that they would have in the Sears catalog. And so I basically brought in all these ones that are real nostalgic for me from when I was, you know, for anywhere from like 6 to 12 up in there. So the, the Stretch Monster, the Jaws uh, game where you had to pull the stuff out of its mouth, uh, the Mighty Monster, was it the Mighty Man and Monster Maker where you drew stuff? He had these interchangeable stuff where you could create different heroes or monsters and a bunch of whole, uh, other stuff from that time time frame all gets kind of drawn in and pulled in at different points. And and uh, so a lot of if, if you grew up in that time frame, there'll be a lot of nostalgia. 
for people for toys. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what can people find your work at? Um, everything of mine is on Amazon. Um, there's a few things that are on Godless right now, uh, but everything else is definitely on Amazon. Uh, low, and I think where the gods sleep, you can order from Barnes and Noble. Um, Stitch Mile Publication got those in there, but everything you can get on Amazon. Uh, the signal will be up there like in the next few days. The signal's only on uh, Godless right now, but it'll be up on Amazon too. So they look up Mike Duke uh, and just throw in a title like Mike Duke Lower, Mike Duke Amalgam. They'll find me on Amazon. And I've got a an author page there where they can see everything uh, that I've put out as well as uh, the anthologies, a lot of anthologies that I've been in because I think I'm up to now like 15 anthologies that I've got stuff in. Oh, wow. So, yeah. A lot of stuff. <clears throat> That's awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me. That's been a blast. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate you reaching out. It was yeah, great. Of course. Yeah, have a great night, man. You too, sir. Take it Bye. easy.